Well, this is our fourth and final session on our series that we're calling Thinking Outside the Box. And uh, our main focus in the series has been to expand our thinking. The reason we want to expand our thinking is so our capacity to believe increases. And when we get to that level, everything in our life has the potential to grow. Everything in our life, anything that we want to see changed can happen. You see, until you believe that all things are possible to those who believe, then all things are not possible. You come to a place of limitation in your life, and it all starts in your thought life. Now, where do we change our mind with? We don't want to change our mind with just whatever we can think of. We want to go to the Word of God, find out what it says, and that's what we want to change our mind with. And God is a big God, and we're made in His image. We're like Him. And the capacity to believe, the capacity to walk by faith that we have is so great, but we'll never get past our thinking. If our thinking is small, then our believing is small. And therefore, life is small, so to speak. And we need to understand, again, our thinking determines virtually everything in our life regarding where we will go, uh, how far we will get in life. I don't know about you, but I want to grow. I want to expand. I don't want to be limited. I don't want to just live my life just barely getting by. I, and Adam, I'm not talking about just like finances. A lot of people would immediately think of that. I, I mean every area of my life. I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better pastor. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better son or child to my Heavenly Father. I want to grow. I want to be able to enable the kingdom of God better. When the day comes where I'm a little bit older, I don't want to just sit somewhere and die. I want to travel. I want to be a blessing. I want to do what I want to do and, and not be limited by anything. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I know a lot of people that are. I mean, they're limited. They can't go beyond a certain amount. Or there's things in life they've never experienced, never even tried. Remember when you were a kid and your parents would say, just try it. How do you know you don't like it if you don't try it? Remember? I don't know about you, but how many of you discovered chicken fried steak with gravy is pretty good? <laughs> but there was a time in my life, I'm not eating that with all that stuff on there and slop on there. You don't know what I'm talking about? There's a lot of things in life that if you limit your, yourself and don't think beyond, you're never going to experience. I remember one time on a mission trip, where I took some teenagers, <laughs> it was, I think it was the first time I'd ever taken a group uh, out of the country. We were in Mexico. We would eat out and about most of the time in the facility they had, mainly because it was a controlled environment. You don't want to be loose in the town just eating willy-nilly, okay? Because then you might get Montezuma's revenge. <laughs> in other words, you don't want that. And so they, they did their best, even though we would eat uh, some of the Mexican food, the way a lot of the people from there would eat it, we ate it in a controlled environment when we did. And there were a couple of restaurants we would go to, but these were checked out restaurants. In other words, they were going to follow certain specs. They were going to use bottled water only, things like that. Well, I remember when we were eating some of our meals, I, I had one of the kids with me from the youth group that was a very picky eater. I'm talking picky. I mean, there was only like four ingredients in the world the kid would eat, or four food <laughs> items. He was very picky. One of those, I'll only eat mac and cheese or chicken fingers. That's it. And he was that hard about it, short of his junk food problem. 
He could eat all the junk food he wanted. That could be any. In fact, I saw him buying stuff in Mexico, made in Mexico. You don't know what's in that, but you're eating it. But you won't eat this? It was just some plain, ordinary American thing. Well, finally, after the third day, I noticed he was skipping meals. He wouldn't touch anything. And uh, unless we went to the cantina and he could buy what he wanted. So basically, he would live off junk food. Finally, by the third day, it's hot out. I mean, it was averaging 105 in the daytime, very dry. It was so dry that you could take a shower and you could get your towel soaked, put it in the window. Half an hour later, it was completely bone dry. That's how dry the air was. And, uh, and so I was concerned, these kids, making sure they're getting enough water and enough food in them to be able to handle what we're doing. Finally, the third day came by, and, and I was, it was brought to my attention that he wasn't eating. And I knew he was a problem. And what they were serving, if I remember correctly, in this particular meal was just a ham sandwich with a little bit of mayo. About as American as you can get, right? So he doesn't like mayonnaise. Well, they made everything ahead of time. So I said, then scrape all you can off of it. It's not going to kill you, I promise, okay? He's like, no, I can't, I'll gag. And finally, I had to put, I had to put the pressure on. See, his parents wouldn't do it. and Because so, his parents would cater to, everybody in his life and his family catered to him. Well, I'm not going to tolerate that. If no one's gonna, else going to make a man out of him, then I'm going to do it. Well, I had him broken down in tears in no time. I mean, he thought he was going to die eating that sandwich. (laughs) And I I mean, I I had my wife scrape all the mayonnaise you could off the thing. And I said, I just want you to eat this one sandwich. You eat this one sandwich, I'll be happy. In fact, I got it down to half the sandwich. He took one, you know, and he's playing. And he is bawling and crying. This 13-year-old boy is in tears in front of me. And And, of course, I feel bad you know but I'm like I can't do that I have to do right by him it's my responsibility and so I'm pressuring and and there was even other kids and other adults I can't believe he's making him eat that sandwich and I'm thinking (laughs) I'm thinking I'm doing what's right for him well he whined and cried the whole time and he finally ate his half a sandwich and I said okay I'm satisfied there and I said I want you for the rest of the time though to do your best to eat some of what they give you. First of all, when they made it and they gave it to you, it's an insult just to put it away. I used to tell my kids, you go over someone else's house, you eat whatever they set in front of you. I don't care what it is. Unless it's poisonous, and they're not going to give you anything poisonous, you eat everything there. Now, you don't have to ask for seconds. But you, if I find out that you just, eh, I don't like that, oh, you and I are going to have a talk. Because that's rude. Anybody agree with me? So you say, well, you're just taking it too far. No, I don't want my kids rude. See, I'm, my job is to train them up in the way they should go. So when they grow old, they're not rude. They're not misbehaved people. They know how to carry themselves. Well, this kid anyway, when we, <laughs> when we got back a couple weeks after the trip, after my tormenting him, he comes up to my wife, because I guess he couldn't come up to me, and he tells my wife, Miss Lisa, I just want you to know, I appreciate y'all making me eat that. Because it made me think, I need to grow up. I need to change. 
And it really impacted him. Now he's uh, successful. He's, he's graduated high school and he's done some good things and he's, he's taking care of himself. But my point is, is that sometimes you have to push people. You have to press them a little bit and you can't feel guilty about it. And don't get me wrong, I, oh man, did I get a lot of slack from that, from other people. But I'm like, you know what, in my heart, I did the right thing. I wasn't trying to be mean, I was trying to do the right thing. And even he recognized it when he came back. But anyway, and I never had a talk with his parents. They never came to me. Of course, if they did, I would have given them a mouthful. <laughs> but, okay, we're talking about thinking, okay? Let me give you an example. When we talk about in-the-box thinking. If someone might consider doing something out of the ordinary, for example, like inventing something or creating something, and then they run into a problem. Or maybe they're not trying to create or invent anything. They're just simply facing a problem. The problem could be financial. It could be in their marriage. It could be any number of things. They're facing this problem. Well, if we're in the box, if we're limited or small thinking, then what we would normally do is look at how did I react towards something similar to this in the past, and that is what I would gauge my response on. In other words, that's as far as I'm going to go. Why? Because I'm in the box. I have small thinking, and therefore, I already have pre-measured boundaries. I won't go beyond them. And see, that's the problem. In-the-box thinking or small thinking stifles creativity. It doesn't, there are, could be hundreds of solutions to a problem. Hundreds, thousands, millions of solutions to a problem, but you can't see a one of them. You can't see a way out. There are so many solutions to so many things in life or answers to everything in life. Everything in life. How many would agree? Divorce, just off the top of your head, is not the answer. Things aren't changing. I'm not satisfied. I quit. And see, that's the problem is I just quit. I gave up. You couldn't think of anything outside that. You were limited. This is what I've always done. When the pressure came on, I quit in life. I stopped. I just ran away from whatever the thing was. And we can't do that. What we want to do is expand our thinking to know that there's something beyond that. And the only true way to do that is through the Word of God. And we're going to look at that some tonight. But let's go over that one scripture. If you want to write this down, Proverbs 23, 7, New American Standard Version says, For as he thinks within himself, so he is. So as a person thinks within themselves, they think within themselves, so they are. They can't move past it. So in other words, you are limited in your life. There is a ceiling in your life, so to speak, by your thinking. And I've seen this time and time again. I've had friends, for example, or co-workers that I saw do things that I just couldn't understand how they could do them. And then I realized they're thinking bigger than me. They're just simply thinking bigger than me. So they end up asking for more money on a job. They end up buying a nicer car. They end up having a nicer home. Why? They have the ability and capacity to think. Now, there's a difference between thinking big and thinking stupid, right? I know a lot of people that have bought some really fancy, nice homes, got in the skin of their teeth, and they can't even afford to put curtains on the windows. There's no furniture in the house other than their old junky stuff. Why? They can't furnish it because they can barely make the mortgage payment. That's not thinking bigger. That's dumb. But I'm talking about sometimes we won't do certain things because we just can't see ourselves in it. Oh, that's too nice. 
Oh, that's too big. Oh, that's too fancy. Oh, I couldn't ask for that much. I couldn't, they would never pay little old me that. And so what did you do? You just limited yourself, but you not only limited yourself, you limited God in your life. You put a cap and therefore God, God can't go past what you're able to think on, what you're able to imagine in your life. Because why? You can't imagine it. He's not going to bypass you. Listen to me. You have a will, and God honors that will, and he will not move past you. So what we want to do is increase our capacity so that we can grow. And what I want to do is have no ceiling. (laughs) I don't want to have any limits on me. Why? Now, like I've said this before, if I set the bar here, that's as far as I can go. I've already set the bar. So why not think a little bigger and put it here? Now, I might not reach that, but at least I possibly went farther than here. You get what I'm saying? So why not think bigger because nothing gets hurt? Why not think bigger? Why not expand bigger and just push it a little bit more so that I can grow? You know that if you were bodybuilding, if you were lifting weights and bodybuilding, if you don't bring up the numbers occasionally, in other words, your body will adapt to whatever weights you're lifting. But eventually you've adapted. If you want to grow more, if that bodybuilder wants to get bigger, what does he got to do? He has to either lift more of what he was doing or increase the weight. Once he hits that level, he has to do it again. It's amazing to me that God even created the human body can expand. I'm not going to say there's no limit to it, but it can go pretty far. Dear Lord, you ever seen some of these monsters? I don't know why they'd want to be that big. They can't get through a normal doorway, sit in an airplane, need two seats. Not because they're they're big. (laughs) Can't go on any rides. Dear Lord, most of us already have that stress when we go to a amusement park now. (laughs) I just don't understand. And then they got to eat like a bazillion eggs, all kinds of protein just to keep it up. I heard the other day, The Rock, you all know I'm talking about, say The Rock, drinks four gallons of water a day to maintain that body of his. Who would want to do that? I don't know about you, but I want to live a little bit normal life. (laughs) That, to me, is not normal. But anyway, what I'm saying is, is in-the-box thinking is limited thinking. It's small thinking. It will not allow us, or, or I should say it makes it harder to envision bigger and better. It makes it more difficult to grow and to develop. I heard someone say this one time regarding the seeming injustice there is regarding the rich in the world versus the much more poor in the world. So you have the rich in the world that, that are living lavishly and have more than enough, and, could, and some of them could never spend in their lifetime what they have. Then you have most of the world on the opposite scale, not meeting some of the even basic needs in life. And so this person in talking about this, discussing it, said, well, why don't we just divide all the money in the world and give it to everybody so everybody's equal and everybody's got it? Well, a wise person replied back, well, that sounds really good, but in about 30 days, all the rich people will have the money again. Why is that? Because poverty is more than just a lack of finances. It is in their thinking. And somebody who's rich, (laughs) it's in their thinking. And so somehow the scale is going to tip again and it's going to go another direction. See, until we change our thinking, you might say, well, no, I don't believe that. I think it's just, I think the equality thing would work. Really? Well, let me give you an example. 
How many times have we heard someone winning big at the lottery? I mean huge amounts of money. Even with the taxes taken out, they could go the rest of their life on a million dollars a year and not spend all this money. And we think, wow. But see, what we'll do is we'll find a a person who lived in abject poverty when they got the money. And you think, that's great for them. But in many cases... They literally spend all the money or they're out of money in five or six years and they're broke again. Why? Because they couldn't handle it. They didn't think big enough. They didn't understand. All of a sudden, you're going to have lots of friends when you win the lottery. You're going to have lots of pals, lots of people with ideas and ways you could use it or other people you could help. Or they buy ridiculous things with it. They went from practically a bicycle to a Lamborghini. They went from five holes in most of the walls in the apartment for air conditioning, (laughs) and they go out and buy some ridiculous $30 million mansion. What I have discovered, I've seen some documentaries on that, is that the ones that have a little more common sense, that already were handling their money pretty good, then they won, they didn't radically change their life. They thought about the future and how they could spread it out, and they didn't want to alter everything. And so they would handle it sensibly. And they might be able to help some people out. They might be able to do some good things. But it didn't overall change their life. Why? Because they were already knew how to handle money. They already knew. They weren't rich. They just knew how to handle money. They didn't let the money rule them. And that didn't change when they had it. But the reality is, how do I know this? Well, Jesus told us some stories about faithfulness. Remember being a good steward? What did he imply? If you're not a good steward, if you're, if you're not faithful in little, you're not going to be faithful in much. Listen to me carefully. If you can't tithe off a dime on a dollar, you are not going to tithe a, a million off 10 million. You won't do it. Because if you're not faithful in little things, you're not going to be faithful in big things. But if you want to be faithful in big things, what do you do? Show God you're faithful in the little things, in everything. Don't change. So as you grow and expand, you grow and expand with it, and God can trust you with more. Amen? And so that principle, though, is part of our thinking. What I want to say is this. Your thoughts are powerful. Your thoughts don't directly change anything in your life. I do want to make that clear. Just thinking something doesn't change anything, but your thinking affects your believing. And your thinking and believing impact your doing, the action of life. That is a game changer. That is where we really see things in life changing. And we're going to give you an example of that tonight. There was a person in the Bible who was about to move in position to something dramatically bigger in their life. A a much greater level of responsibility. And and it, it happened Uh, really over a very, very, very short amount of time. They were preparing for it for a big part of their life. This person was preparing, was faithful, was loyal, loved God, and was a help in so many ways. And God was preparing them for what they would ultimately do. But the fact is this. This person, even being faithful and responsible, loyal, still had to have some real thinking dynamics changed in order to step into this next level with God, in order to be successful at it. Because they would see themselves small or weak. They would see themselves inadequate. And so God had to bring them up to another level. 
And so who I'm speaking of is Joshua. Joshua was Moses' assistant. And we can see before, even before Moses died, if you do some studying, you'll find that Moses was preparing Joshua. That Joshua was faithful and loyal as the day is long. He loved God. He had a good heart. And he wanted to obey the Lord. He wanted to help Moses. And how many of you know, Moses, <laughs> Moses stands tall in the Bible. I mean, think about it now. We, 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 we make funny comments now when somebody wants to maybe do something bigger or, or more challenging. We think, who do you are, Moses? Isn't that what we say? I mean, come on. Who do you think you're, Moses? And so we compare a lot of leadership things, a lot of big things to Moses. Think about it now. No cell phones. No internet. No nothing. No communications like that. And here he is leading millions of people. I mean, he had something going on with God. He had something going on. Now, that didn't happen overnight. We know that Moses had what? He had 40 years of training in the back uh, of the desert. I mean, before he ever, remember, what did he do when he felt God's call? He really blew it, didn't he? Remember, he went to go kill the Egyptian? Well, he knew he was called, but he needed to grow and develop, and he wasn't there yet. This is not about Moses, but we want to recognize that Moses was a great leader. As the Bible as a whole, he's referred to as a great, great man of God. And Joshua is about to fill his shoes. Those are big shoes to fill. No one was like Moses. He's Moses. I mean, dear Lord, look at all he's done and all God did through him. Well, we know that uh, Moses dies and the Lord tapped on Joshua, was calling Joshua to step in his shoes as the leader of the children of Israel. But not only that, Moses wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. And so <laughs> Joshua was about to take them to a whole nother level. In other words, Joshua was about to take them where they'd been wanting to go all along. Remember? I mean, it was a big deal. And so look in your Bibles with me real quickly at Joshua chapter 1. I want you to read along with me. Now, I'm reading in the New King James, which I use most of the time, sometimes New Living. But New King James takes all the these and the thous out of it and things like that. All right, so we'll start with Joshua chapter 1 and we're going to read the first four verses and I want you to notice that God is calling Joshua and also giving Joshua his mission in other words his directive okay and God is very clear verse 1 after the death of Moses the servant of the Lord it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua the son of Nun Moses assistant saying Moses my servant is dead now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. So we can see here that that the Lord is giving Moses very clear instructions. He's saying, you're going to take them where Moses couldn't. You're going to bring them to the next level. Not only are you going to be the leader like Moses, but 
you're going to do something completely new. It's time to do what the Lord wanted them to do and go into. And he gives very specifics about that. He, he, he defines the territory and what they're going to accomplish. And that was big. But how many would agree that if you were shoved into something much bigger than you are now, that you might have some doubts about your ability to do it? You might have doubts about your ability to lead and successfully do this. Who am I? We all have these self-doubt thoughts. We need to deal with them when they come. But the reality is, is that God knew that Joshua needed a boost in his thinking. God knew and recognized that Joshua needed some help and worked with Joshua to expand his thinking, to develop him into something more than he was, so that Joshua could see himself obeying and leading the people successfully. You see, Joshua, no matter what God wanted to do through Joshua, Joshua was not a puppet. Now, God had done everything he can to train Joshua. To, he knows what Moses would do. He knows how to hear God. He knows these things. But this is, again, a whole other level of responsibility. It's one thing to help the man of God. It's another thing to be the man of God. And who do I answer to? Like in this church, I can't point the finger at you and say, well, why isn't this happening or that happening? As a famous president said, the buck stops here. In other words, I'm responsible. Now, who's my boss? The Lord Jesus Christ. The only problem is I can't see him. You can walk to your boss and say, hey! Well, first of all, I would never say, hey! But the reality is, is that when I go to my boss, it's a whole different ball game. I mean, I have to literally lay down my life, so to speak, and do it by faith, listen, pray. I can't just go in the office. You can come to me, and I can just give you instructions. And you can just walk away saying, thus saith pastor. That's all you've got to know, right? That's, that's it. I mean, well, it's different for me. Well, it was different for Joshua. This is a big deal. And so Joshua really needed help in his thinking. And so what, what he needed is, he needed help getting over some personal weaknesses. See, if God's giving Joshua a lot of encouragement, what does it say? Joshua needed a lot of encouragement. He needed a lot. How about you? Do you need encouragement? I mean, I'm not going to brag and say, look who I am. Look what I can do. Oh, dear Lord, you don't have any idea how many. Lord, are you sure you called me? Are you sure you want me to do it? I mean, I've had those. Why me? Well, who am I? And so he's, ha- he's about to have these kind of moments a lot, all right? So let's look at how God helped Joshua. And this is what I want to see what God wants to do in your life, okay, in my life. Joshua 1, go down to verse 5 where everything changes. He was giving instructions before this, but now he's giving some serious encouragement. In verse 5, he's talking to Joshua. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to give their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Notice, didn't we just hear that statement? Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. 
This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Now notice verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now I encourage you on your own time, read that several times. Get a couple of different translations, that verses 5 through 9, because that is the Lord dealing with you. That is the Lord talking to you about some of the things that He wants to do in your life and wants to change. But see, God was trying to strengthen Joshua. He was trying to expand Joshua's thinking. Now, there were eight things that I want to point out. If you want to write this down, be my guest. They're short, and I'll go slow. But I want you to notice eight things things in these verses that God was speaking to Joshua to expand and grow his thinking and he wants to do the same in our life so number one he said no man shall stand before you all the days of your life no man shall stand before you in other words no one is going to get between you and God no one no man can stop you that's number one Number two, he promised that he would be with him just like he was with Moses. He would be with him. God will be with you just like he was with Moses. Number three, God promised he would never leave us or forsake us. He said, I will not leave you or forsake you. Here's the wonderful part. Number four, five, and six. God says the same thing and repeats it three times. Be strong and of good courage. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and of good courage. Notice how the Lord over and over and over, be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. Be strong and very courageous. Now think about that. What is courage? Courage is the ability to stand in the face of anything and do it anyway. It is even sometimes doing it afraid. He's saying, you don't let anything stop you, Joshua. You don't let anything hold you back. Be strong. Aren't we encouraged in Ephesians to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might? Be strong in the Lord, not in yourself. That's what he's saying here. He's like, Joshua, I'm with you. I won't let you go. You and I are going to do this hand in hand. You're not alone. And my strength is in him. That's what Joshua is getting from the Lord. And it's encouraging him. In other words, God is giving him something to meditate on. I told you I'd give you eight. Number seven, the Lord told him in several different ways, don't be afraid. Don't be alarmed, unnerved, or distressed. Don't be afraid. Alarmed, unnerved, or distressed. In other words, you're going to face fear, but don't let it rule you. Just have the courage to move on through. Trust me, I'm on the other side. I'm with you holding your hand. I won't leave you. I'm with you like I was with Moses. And number eight, I am with you wherever you go. God promises I am with you wherever you go. Now when you look at these eight things... You think, dear Lord, that's good. I need to apply that in my own life. How many would agree with me? That's good stuff. See, remember how I taught you uh, when we talked about the Word of God? The ins- is the inspired Word of God? It's for everybody. 
So you might say, well, he was talking to Joshua. Yeah, but that's for you and me. It's of no private interpretation. This is God talking to you, giving you some serious encouragement in your life. You start meditating on this, and the Lord starts speaking to you things, you're going to be a lot bolder. You may, in your mind, man, that's scary, (laughs) but God's with me. He's not going to leave me. He said, I'll be with you wherever you go. And as long as I'm following the Lord, what do I got to be concerned about? Now, God gave Joshua a way to expand and grow his thinking, which would grow his believing, which would impact every area of his life. God told Joshua three things, that if you want to write this down, and I'm just breaking it down. He told him three things. First of all, God told Joshua to say what God said about him. God told Joshua to say what God said about him. Aren't these things that God said about him? Verse 5 through 9, right? He said, be strong and very courageous. Aren't that, it, that's what God said. And so God is telling Joshua, you say what I say about you. Don't say what you feel. Don't say the circumstances. Say what I say. So God told Joshua to say what God said about him. That's what God's telling you to say tonight. Only say what God says about you. Don't say how you feel. Don't talk about how big the circumstances or how big the giant is. Focus on what God said. What did God say? Number two, God told Joshua to meditate on his word day and night. What was he saying there? Well, when we look up the word meditate, another way to say that is you kind of like memorize the word and you're kind of muttering the word. What I mean is you're muttering it to yourself over and over. By the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. By the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. Well, it's an easy way to meditate is memorize first. If I memorized it, then I don't have to carry on a Bible. Because the first thing somebody tells me, come on, pastor, do you really expect me to do this all day while I'm working, driving? Didn't you say meditate in the Word all the time? Didn't that say day and night, right? How many agree day and night means what? Anybody need help with that? Will you look up the Greek, find out what day and night means. Day and night means what? It's, it's implying you're not letting it go. It's, it's somewhere in your thinking. You're, you're talking it. You're, you're speaking. You're muttering it all the time. Well, if you memorize the Scripture and I remind myself to meditate on it, I can do it anytime, anywhere, anyhow. I can eventually do it without even thinking. Everybody, two plus two is? Wow, that was amazing. No one really had to get in there. Give me a second, Pastor. I got... Why? You've said it and said it and said it and said it and said it until it's ingrained in you. It's just there. Well, you can get that way with the Word. And when you get that way with the Word, then you can meditate on it and just feed yourself. It's like a, an example would be a cow chewing cud. He, he <laughs> believe it or not, regurgitates it and chews it again. And it just keeps on doing this process. It's amazing to me that we're going to go from grass to milk. That's an amazing thing. How does that happen? God's a creative being that thinks without limits. Because isn't that nuts? That we're going to take grass and turn it into milk. And then we can take that milk and make all kinds of goodies with it. Anybody here got an ice cream problem? Yeah, I got an ice cream problem, Pastor. I eat too much of the ice cream. Or cheese or all the good things that you can have. God is a genius. But see, when God created, he created without limits. He created without limits. There's no limit on him. And so that's where we want to get to in our life. There's no limits in our life. Amen? So he told him to meditate on the word. That's exactly how you do it. And number three, God was telling Joshua to focus on his word and nothing else. Focus on 
His Word. What I mean is, what did God say? What did God say to me? What did God tell me to do? And that's what you're going to focus on. What does the Word say? That's my focus in life. I'm not allowing myself to be distracted by everything else. And how many of you know, we live in the age of distraction. Back then, man, when the lights were out, sun was down, unless they had a candle or something, fire going, the day was over. It wasn't that far. I mean, you go back, you know, 80 years and 90 years in some places, and it was the same kind of thing around here. The day was over. They probably went to bed a lot earlier and got up a lot earlier. But the reality is this, is that, no matter what we're doing, focus on the Word. What, a problem I see with a lot of people when it comes to healing in their life, believing God for healing, is that they'll tell me about what they used to do. Oh, we used to be a church full of healings. Oh, we used to, I used to, to believe God and God had healed me all the time. Well, that's great, but that was then. What is, what is God doing in your life right now? What is the Word doing now? Don't live in the past. Listen to me carefully. The Israelites could not live off yesterday's manna. They couldn't even keep it one day unless it was the day before the Sabbath. And that's because God said that'll last two days, get twice as much. Other than that, what happened if they kept it any longer? It rotted. And everybody knew they kept some. (laughs) Well, the reality is in our life, we need to understand that's telling us we can't live off yesterday. Listen to me, you can't live off 10 years ago's gas in your car. What do you got to do? Every time you get empty, what do you got to do? You got to fill back up. You got to fill back up. You got to fill back up if I want to use it. Well, you need to fill your tank up with the Word. Fill your tank up with the Word. Fill your tank up with the Word. And that's how we're going to see what we're about to look at. You see, remember, our thoughts impact our beliefs, which lead to actions. And that's where real change manifests in our life that's where we really see the things that we want to see in life or the changes that we want to see in life now look with me real quickly to joshua 1 8 look at it real quickly he talks specifically about what the lord told him to do this book of the law you and i are just going to say the word of god because we're not in the law okay we're in the word of god and in our case we can take the whole word plus specifically we should focus on the new testament and even more specifically the letters to the churches the epistles okay that give very specific things for us okay now it says here joshua 1 8 this book of the law or the word of god shall not depart or leave your mouth what does that mean you're talking it a lot you're meditating in a lot right what i'm you ever notice when you're chewing gum you just it's just there all the time and you can do it without thinking right i mean i'm sure she's not concentrating up down up down you're not doing that you just becomes part of your life right that's what god wants us to do with his word it just becomes part of our life we're just it's always in our mouth it's always in our mouth we're not taking vacations from him in his word we're just leaving it in our mouth he said it shall not depart from your mouth now notice what it says but you shall meditate in it day and night so if it's in my mouth all the time am i forced to think about what i'm saying do this look at joshua 1 8 we're going to read it out loud you ready Everybody, Joshua 1 8, okay? Tell me when you're there. I want to wait for everybody. Everybody there? All right, Joshua 1 8. Everybody out loud. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. Now stop right there. Now, how many of you were thinking about other things while you were reading that? So, what happens when something's in your mouth? It engages your thoughts did you see that 
This is one of the reasons I read the Bible out loud. I have a tendency to wonder, like many of you, <laughs> what I'm preaching, okay? <laughs> you're thinking, he mentioned ice cream. Brahm sounds good. And you're, you're off on that trail, you know? But what I'm saying is, is that it isn't it amazing that when we talk it, it's like somehow it forces or focuses. We're thinking about what we're saying because we're reading it. We're talking it. And so I encourage you, when you read the Bible, read it out loud. That's a better way to stay focused and concentrated. When you just do it in your head and you're just kind of going along and all of a sudden, oh, I, I, pizza sounds good. Something sparked something in you. They talked about the wine at this thing. Man, I'm thirsty. You know? And you start getting off on thought processes. Well, then you find yourself kind of reading, but you're not really there. You ever do that? You're reading and reading thinking, oh my Lord, I didn't even know what I read in the last 17 verses. And somebody, but some people say, well, that's acceptable. Not to me. I always go back to where I remembered last, and I'll read it, and then I'll say, no, out loud, Ken, because I need to focus. Especially if I'm in an environment that's distracting. But I don't have to be in an environment of distraction to be distracted. My own thought life will do that alone. But talk, and it engages. Now, I want you to notice, he said to have the Word of God in your mouth, meditate on it day and night. And it was way saying, mutter it to yourself over. He's not talking about just like going through confessions. And yes, you can make confessions and do confessions, and I'm encouraging you. But part of it, he's talking about just meditate on that Scripture and then turn it into a confession. But meditate on, chew it, just eat it over and over and over. And if you're saying it loud enough for just enough for you to hear, then that's even better because it's going, listen to me, you're getting it in your ear gate and the mouth, and you're hearing it, and you're saying it, and it's doing double duty, and you're thinking about it. That's good for you. But notice, why are we doing that? Why are we meditating on the Word? Why do we want our thoughts on it? Now, what have we been talking about for four weeks? Our thoughts, right? Our thinking. Why do we want to be thinking on this? Well, look at what it says. That you may observe to do. That you may observe to what? To do. To do. Look at what it says. That you may observe to do according to all that's written. What is the point? Why does God want us meditating on the Word and confessing it and always having it in our thoughts and doing that? Why? It's not for the purpose of just doing that. He's got a reason for it. The more we think about it, meditate on it, and talk it, what's happening? The more we're inclined to what? It's on the top of my head, and I'll do it. I'll act on it. But what happens when you disengage from God's Word and take a vacation from it? You're not really thinking about it. You're not full of it. You're not aware of it. Did you ever hear, a, if you ever went to like, maybe went to a place where you heard several messages at one time, like a camp meeting or or a special meeting like that, or, or Andy and Tiffany recently went to Brother Copeland's meeting down there, and you were in something where you just were in one meeting after another, after another, after another. Man, you feel like you're just going to explode with the Word of God. You just, everything in your life, you forget about everything else. At first, you might not, but after hearing and hearing and talking and thinking about it and reading it and over and over and over and over and over, eventually, you just forget about everything else. All I'm focused on is the Word. That is exactly how you change your life. Why? Because if you're so focused on the Word, you're inclined to do the Word. Now, what's the benefit of doing the Word? This is where we see change. Look what it says. For then. Everybody say, for then. For then. So, what do we have to do to have the for then? 
We have to be doing the Word. Not hearing the Word, doing the Word. But everybody's got that mixed up and thinks somehow if I come to church, somehow by osmosis, because I'm around the Word and I heard the Word, then I'm okay, that I'm doing the Word. No, you're not. Doing the Word is not what you do here in church. It's what you do outside of church with what you heard in church. It's taking it and doing it and acting up. But notice what it says, for then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. But everybody reverses that and wants the prosperity in their every area of life and wants to have good success before they've done the work of doing the Word. And the whole purpose of meditating on the Word and doing it, and that's what God was telling Joshua why. God wanted Joshua successful. He needed Joshua. He needed for Joshua to see himself as that leader. I can do this. He had to have some confidence, not in in his own ability, but in his ability to trust the Lord, that God will be with me, just like he was with Moses. Amen? Did God ever fail Moses? No. And Joshua witnessed it firsthand. And he knew God never failed him. He's not going to fail me. And so the more he would meditate on it, the more he would grow. Are you guys getting this? But see, we got to do the work in order to get to the point that we're conscious enough to do the work, and that's where things change in our life. Notice what it says. Look here again. Then you make your way prosperous. Your way prosperous. Is God just doing it all for you? No. Because you did the word, you made your way, your life prosperous, and then you will have good success. But you're not going to do it without the Lord. Amen? And so, I'm telling you what, that's good stuff, guys. I would just eat that up. Now, real quickly, I started to write this because I want you, this is your homework, take verses 5 through 9 and personalize them. Remove Joshua and add your own name. And then take his mission out and put your mission. In other words, make it towards you. And so I started writing this, like if it was the confession. And I didn't do all of it, I just did part of it. I'm going to do all of it on my own. No man shall be able to stand before me all the days of my life. God is with me all the time. He will never leave me or forsake me. I'm strong in the Lord and full of good courage. And what I would do is keep on going down all the way through all those verses and take the ones that apply and put your mission. God was telling Joshua something, but you're not Joshua. But we can apply this to our own life so that we can be encouraged, so that we can grow, so that we can expand our thinking. Amen? And you get full of this in you. I'm telling you what, guys. There's nothing you can't face. There's no giant you won't stare down and say, I'm coming for you. Amen? Amen. Praise God. All right. Praise God. Well, that concludes this series.